0: And welcome to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Samuel Hunt. I'm Joe Stevens. And if this is your first time, welcome. If you heard the first one, welcome back. And thank you for staying with us.
1: And just a big thank you for uh, how well the first episode was received. It's kind of way beyond my expectations, personally, about how many downloads we got. Yeah, we were delighted. How many? Was it
0: over? Uh, Over 75. Over 75 downloads and almost 100 likes on the page within a week and a half. I mean, amazing result. Yeah. Um, and also, all the people that wrote in to say how good we looked in the picture, I think we should mention those guys as well. I think
1: we should definitely mention those guys. Yeah. Uh, maybe if you want to start some sort of fan club.
0: Inundated. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: been pretty stressful, to be honest. You Well,
0: know? answering all the fan mail?
1: All the fan mail, all the yeah.
0: unsolicited calls. There's a there's a crowd outside at the moment.
1: Yeah, babe. this place is really well soundproofed, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we can hear it, but I don't think the mic will pick it up. No. Right, should we talk about... Um, Talk about what's happened this week. I mean, obviously, biggest, biggest night of the year, really, in film, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So Sunday night was the Academy Awards, know, uh, more widely known as the Oscars. The Oscars, yeah. I've got a little, little bit of trivia as to why they're called the Oscars. Go I've on. Drop it at the end. Oh, at the end. Yeah. Well, I just, I'll just do it now. Just do it now. Okay, so Spare the uh, secretary for the Academy Awards. When, kind of the early ones, when the statue was standing in front of her, and, you know, kind of big, gold, bald guy standing like that, she's like, oh, my God, that looks like, like my Uncle Oscar." Oh, um, really? And that, and Just girls, like that?
0: Yeah, and some girl's like, oh, I you call them that. Oh, that is pretty cool. I yeah. didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Cheers. So, let's talk about... Okay, fine. So, we had we had all the class, you know, best picture, best actor. Best picture, obviously, went to Spotlight. I mean, I think a lot of people... Well, I thought it was going to go to the Revenant. I
1: I was to the extent where I was going to put an accumulator Mm. on what I thought were on picture director actor actress supporting actor sporting actress, and I would have lost. Uh Um, Do you still have? Maybe we can post a clip of post a picture of that accumulator Pat. I I wasn't allowed to in the end, because I think it's too easy.
0: Oh, Oh, you um, weren't allowed to put it on? No,
1: I wasn't. I I think it's too easy. They'd heard heard the podcast. Yeah, they're like, these guys know their (laughs) shit. These guys know their shit. We're
0: not letting anyone come into... No, nowhere (laughs) near this. Turned away at the door at Bedford. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, well, I mean, you saw Spotlight. I haven't seen it. I've seen The Revenant. Yeah. I I mean, it is exactly the kind of film you would expect to win Best Picture. The Revenant. Yeah, it has, you know, it has the... Wide cinematography and you know the suffering for performance by Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, it's directed by Nyaratu who won last year for Birdman. So, yeah, I was quite surprised actually. And but you know, good on spotlight. I mean, you liked it. Oh,
1: yeah, I really liked it. And it's, um, you know, some people may say it's an Oscar film because it's about activism and showing up corruption. Um, But it's also, if you watch the film, it's a film about. Hard work and people filing paperwork and hmm. um, writing notes and interviewing people is pe- hmm. various people at different times in rooms talking. Hmm. Um, it sounds
0: less like Oscar Bate than a revenge thriller where Leonardo DiCaprio puts on a lot of makeup and runs around in the freezing cold. I mean, yeah, that sounds like Oscar Bate to that me. That sounds like Oscar Bate to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the, also the other thing that. Is unusual is there was no kind of lead performance. There was no one nominated for best actor or actress. There yeah. were there supporting nominations for Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams. Mm. But it's a proper ensemble piece. Mm. And usually, you need like a someone helming the piece, a big star yeah. to drive it forward. Yeah. Um. So fair play to the Academy.
0: Yeah. No. Well done, Spotlight, and the Academy.
1: Yeah. I was genuinely surprised by that. Mm.
0: I was um. I was thrilled that Brie Larson won for Room. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, we touched on that last time, you know, she won she won the BAFTA as well and you know, what a deserving BAFTA and Academy Award it was. Oh,
1: completely, yeah. I mean I not to really take any way away from her, I don't know
0: why Jacob Tremblay wasn't nominated for anything. But that's what my was my question. Is he too young to be nominated no. for best actor? Can no, you he's be not. nominated when you're seven or yeah. eight? Yeah. Well, I mean look, I'm completely with you. Yeah. As I said. Yeah. I I I think he was more deserving of it than well, I mean, talk, talk about Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, I, it was a great performance, and it was... A lot of the times you see Leonardo DiCaprio and he's in these quite wordy performances, you know, like in Django, um, or a film like... Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street, you know, even as far back as the Titanic. Whereas in The Revenant, it was a very physical performance, and there wasn't a huge amount of dialogue. So, Which I think
1: is... You know, everyone said, oh, it's so Oscar-y, it's suffering. But actually, they you know, kind of things that are internal and things that are kind of less verbal. Yeah. They're, they're less likely to give stuff for. So, you know, that's something.
0: Yeah, no, it was. It was a great performance. And, you know, it was so nice to see, you know, he got off It's standing, his standing turn. It is that's his, how awards work. It's, it's his not time. for... And he's been so gracious. There's a great montage of on YouTube of him every time he hasn't won Best Actor, and he, he just smiles and applauds every time. You know they have some people who are like... Samuel Jackson. <laughs> <very> yeah. <famous. laughs> oh, fucker! <laughs> yeah, so there wasn't any of that. So, you know, I think... Yeah, fair enough. I wasn't in love with the movie, but, you know, great performance, and, it, it you know, it was a long time coming, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, Inyaritu?
1: Inarity. So, again, I, I can't speak further than... He won it last year for Birdman,
0: a film neither of us are fans of. No, Birdman was just incredibly self-indulgent and that's the word I'd describe it s- as. So boring and towards the end, gimmicky. I mean, mm. Um. It basically its one gimmick was that it was all done in. You know, the first half was done in one take. Um, you didn't even notice that though. I didn't. I, I didn't no, notice that. I mean, I, I thought the first half was impressive, but I just, I just lost so much interest after that. I mean, you could, I just. I wasn't engrossed anyway you know but it, i I became I just wanted to walk out after the you know during the second half because I was just so bored and um, fair enough the revenant is a lot better than Birdman but again as I said how a room hasn't won best picture is just absolutely beyond me the academy need to take a long hard look in the mirror I'm afraid
1: yeah and there's a a clip on our Facebook page summing up our feelings about the fact that it didn't yeah. get best picture
0: yeah go and go and check it out um anyway looking forward to the show that we're doing now yeah we've got two new releases for you i'll be doing hail caesar the new cohen brothers film the new cohen brothers movie and joe's going to be reviewing i'm going to be reviewing grimsby the new <laughs> such a baron cohen film so again two very similar movies <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, we're trying to, uh, trying to keep a homogenous outlook. We had Spotlight and Alvin last, last week.
0: Yes, what can we say? And we're also, we're changing the category slightly in the latter part of the show. We are doing a hidden gem, which is The Iron Giant. It's my choice. Which was Joe's choice. I watched it for the purpose of the podcast. And we're also introducing a new genre called Marmite movies, which, it, it's there are Marmite movies. They're movies that... Joe likes, and I don't like, or vice versa, and the first one we're dealing with is uh, Knocked Up. So stay tuned to find out which side we fall on that one.
1: Yeah, let us know what you think of, the, of the, mo- the Marmite movie.
0: The Marmite movie, yeah. Whose side are you on? But make a decision after you hear our respective arguments. Yeah, exactly. So the com- most important thing. Exactly. Coming up in a minute, we've got Grimsby with Joe. Stay tuned.
1: And you're back with Everyone's a Critic. So this week, I went to the cinema and I saw Grimsby, which is the new uh, comedy fair, as it was intended. Or is it? Well, you know, you'll find out over the next ten minutes or so. Yeah. Um, so, then, yeah, the new comedy fair by Sacha Baron Cohen. So this is... Um, one of his scripted movies, like the original Ali G in the House, right? Okay, which um, apparently
0: wasn't very good. Although I haven't, I haven't actually seen it. I G haven't yet. seen it. I saw a bit of it when I was like eight, so obviously found it hilarious. Um, I love, I love Ali G. I mean, the, the show. Yeah. You know. Yeah,
1: the character when in real life interactions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of the crux of this, really. So it's one of his scripted ones, like Ali G in the House and The Dictator. Mm. Um, and it's the story of a chap called Nubby Butcher. Mm-hmm. Who lives in of all places Grimsby? Mm. Also, it, interesting that it's called the Brothers Grimsby in the states because obviously, oh really? <laughs> because Grimsby has no, there's no point of reference right, at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, we we in- introduced to him with him and his um, girlfriend partner. I don't think they're married. They right. have like 15 kids or something. Um, Grimsby. And you know, it's clear that his you a know, brother as a child who's been missing for the past. 28 years, or as he puts it, missing, Uh
0: Um,
1: who is Mark Strong, of all people. What's he doing in it? Well, I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, he might have a couple of questions to answer. Hmm. Um, And, you know, it ends up that he he finds he rediscovers his brother in circumstances where uh, Mark Strong's character, who is a secret agent who works for MI5 type thing, Yeah. is seemingly but not intendingly, um, try to assassinate a young, um, kind of, peace ambassador. One of these kind of like, basically a kid in a wheelchair who's trying to promote kind of Israel right, okay. peace. Um, at when he's trying to kind of foil a plot to assassinate uh, Penelope Cruz, who is kind of an actress and. Um, yeah, and she
0: is she in the movie. Yeah, she is. Yeah, and she plays herself.
1: No, no, so she plays an actress and um, a campaigner, as everyone is now, an actress and campaigner.
0: Right, yeah, yeah,
1: play okay. P.C. character from this film. That's quite funny. Yeah, um, so, you know, that that's the basic plot of the hmm. movie. Should we, should we stick on a clip? Let's have a clip, yeah. Yeah, alright. Sebastian Graves
2: is here. Go to his room and seduce him. I'll be there soon. Come on. Ah! Good afternoon. Hello, there's an emergency. It's a code brown. A code brown, sir? I've uh, blocked the toilet tray. Could you send somebody up as soon as you can, please? Uh, Okay, Mr Shelton. I will send you assistance. Mr Shelton. That is really fast service. I only just called down. Not your usual place to do it. What? Why? Uh, Why did you expect me to do it? In the bed. In the, in the bed? I'm not an animal. I haven't done one in a bed for over five weeks. Let's be quick with this, right? Shall I show it to you? How do I know that when I see it, I won't fall madly in love with you? There's really not much danger of that. Um, it's enormous. All the better. How hard is it? Well, okay, let me try and remember. Um... I mean, the top of it is, you know, very hard, actually, painfully so. Mm. Mm. Then, kind of medium soft, and at the base of it, really hard again. Now, should I tell you what I'm going to do with it? No. I'm going to take it in my hand, all of it. Right. That's very unusual. Yeah. Right? And then I'm going to kiss it. Going to kiss it. And I'm going to put all of it in my This is worse than two girls on one cup. I bet it tastes
1: like strawberries.
2: And I bet you that it tastes of kebab with extra curry sauce.
1: So that was a clip from Grimsby. Um, And you know that is such a Baron Cohen on one of his globe-trotting adventures, trying to prove his brother's innocence. And actually, that clip is one of the better bits, and Hmm. you might be surprised to know that's probably one of the tamer scenes. It's kind of all like miscommunication. Yeah. Ha ha ha. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. I mean, Um, I've heard
0: it is quite, sort of trying to be quite shocking. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Um, It goes totally for the whole, like, gross out. Yeah. Did you find yourself covering your eyes? No, I was like, you know, grimacing. Mm. And I I did laugh. Mm. But I think those bits are funnier. It's kind of miscommunication or just kind of like offhand jokes. You know, there's a bit at the beginning where he's trying to like... Push up a mattress up the stairs with his kids. Hmm. It's like, and he's like, oh, I'm out of breath. It's like, oh, I told you to stop smoking. It's like, oh, I thought you just meant crack. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So, you know, yeah.
1: I don't think the people of Grimsby will be very happy with the film. But I guess. It doesn't portray it in the best light. And some people saying, oh, you know, it goes for soft targets. Um, which I guess is true. I don't think he's doing anything malicious. Hmm. But what I think is what he's really good at in things like uh, Borat, and I still enjoyed it, but less so, Bruno, mm. is, you know, making fun of other people's assumed opinions. Mm. Um, and that does that happen here? No, because he's not... You know, with with Borat, a lot of the time you're laughing at people's real-life reactions, people squirming. Yeah. And you're the one squirming in the cinema now. Like,
0: ooh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, should he have... I mean, like, I, I guess that's what... But that's what Sasha Cohen does best. That sort of, as you said, the misinterpretation, the miscommunication thing. You know, if you look at a, a, a show like Ali G, yeah. the whole point is that they, they, the intelligent people say something and then he completely misinterprets it, and then the whole gag is them trying to work out what he's actually talking about and vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, and I suppose in a movie where it's scripted, it, even if that does happen, you're more aware of the. It's just being presented to you in that format, there's less mechanics. Behind it, do you know what I mean? They, yeah, it's staged, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You know,
0: rather than Borat or something, where you know it's actually happening, and that's what's really funny about it. Yeah, and there's a great bit in Bruno
1: where um, he has he goes to um, like a, a, a big LA house yeah, yeah. to film an interview. I've seen that. Yeah, and he's like, oh, there's no furniture. Oh, I want to get some Mexicans to sit on. Yeah. So yeah. he invites Paul the Dean down to like sit on a Mexican on his like hands and knees, and just like. Okay, it's like so. What are your thoughts on human rights issues? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that—that's the funniest thing. Yeah, when yeah he's yeah. you know putting mm. people in really uncomfortable positions in real life, and you know trying to say something. Really, mm. he's trying to say something about people's opinions of people from Eastern Europe. You know, are they simpletons, mm. etc. Mm. Um, or are really the simpletons the people from the south, yeah, of the yeah. states? Yeah. Um, and in in Bruno as well. Yeah. How uncomfortable can you push people to be feel about? Someone who's fanboy at the game. Hmm.
0: Um, where he's not really doing. But you see, but the point is, in the people who are not in on the joke, yeah. you see the manifestation of of those opinions, and yeah. you know of that uncomfortableness. Yeah. So y- like, you can I'm, laugh at them. Whereas in this instance, you are the guy who's having to squirm, yeah. really.
1: Yeah. It's like, Oh, this is, and there are some like you know when they go really far out for the really gross out bits. I wasn't finding that funny. I was like, this is just ridiculous. Hmm. Um, I did laugh. Probably six times. Um, mm,
0: close to the seven
1: laugh test. Uh, six laugh test. Six laugh test. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the more kind of throwaway gags. Yeah, um, yeah. Or the tamer stuff. I'm not that like, I'm someone who like only likes tame comedy at mm. all. Mm. You know, I, Borat and Bruno, are oh, definitely not tame. No. Um, but yeah, I... The little gross, little I always thing, find the
0: gross-out stuff quite boring, to be honest. Yeah, and I thought I thought the dictator was better. I think it's his worst one to have, date. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Okay. So, not without merit, but... But I wouldn't spend... Decreasing, it it. decreasing form from Sasha.
1: Yeah, and it was... It's number two in the box office.
0: Right. Um...
1: Behind Deadpool, which has still been out for three weeks. Hmm. So people are still going to see that in its third week. Deadpool's month, funnier, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Deadpool, Deadpool is similarly crass. Yeah. But not kind of going for soft targets and just making fat jokes and yeah, yeah. Um, other kind of, of that stuff. You know what's number three in the box office, though, Samuel? What? of the chipmunks the brooch chip. I
0: think it was two I think it was number 2 uh, so last Grims- week So Grimsby has knocked it off its perch <laughs> Jesus Christ Fantastic stop doing this people yeah. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ Right coming up next we've got uh, my review of Hail Caesar which I saw very recently uh, look forward to that Lovely cheers cheers Joe. Okay thanks for that Joe. My pleasure Samuel. Moving on, um, I went to see Hail Caesar on uh, Saturday. Bit of a contrast. Bit of a contrast yeah let's hope so. Um, so this is this is one of those sort of farce plots from the Coen Brothers. I think in terms of plot it resembles Burn After Reading and The Big Lebowski. Kind okay. of, You know the kind of plot where you're not if you start to worry that you're not that you don't know exactly what's going on, you're missing the point of the film. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Well, I haven't seen Burn After it. Reading, but I love The Big Yeah. I really love that film. Exactly. Um, and it, it reminded me as well of, a little bit, you know, Inherent Vice by Paul Thomas Anderson, where as soon as you start to try and understand the plot, you, you've you lost the plot, and lost the point, really, because the whole point is you just get wrapped up, and the, and the comedy of it mm. is that no one knows what's going on. Most importantly, the audience yeah. you know, really doesn't know what's going on. So... It stars pretty much everybody. You've got George Clooney, Josh Brolin, Tilda Swinton, uh, Jonah Hill, Scarlett Johansson, Channing Tatum. Wow, okay. Yeah, Okay. so um, you get the picture. Yeah. They have really brought everyone to the party this time. I yeah. um, George... imagine they can invite whoever they want, really. People you love, would have, love you to would, do You would imagine future. so. I mean, Curran Brothers, yeah, yeah. They, they really are... Um, and this is, I think this is them at the top of their game to be honest, so they, they have Josh Brolin playing this, he works for a production company during the 1950s, uh, th- he works in a film production company, and his job is basically to keep all the film stars on the straight and narrow, you know, and they're always going off on benders. A fixer. Yeah, a fixer. So, yeah, so they're always going off on benders, and they're always sort of sleeping with people they shouldn't. Um, and his job is to keep these stories out of the press. And Tilda Swinton does. She's not in it for very much, but she plays a great reporter who's trying to get under the skin of, of this world, you know, and trying to get a scoop. And Josh mm. Burden is, the guy standing in the way and protecting the integrity mm. of the picture. Mm. And um, and I've seen I've seen on Komodo Mo's um, Facebook page. You know, Komodo described it as the Coens' love letter to cinema. And oh, okay. yeah, you can really see, I mean, there's a sort of indulgence in the whole movie making um, scene and it, it is very, it is very Hollywood and it's very, but it's also, it's period, it's done quite well in terms of like everyone dresses like the 50s and um, so it really looks the part. Now in terms of the plot: George Clooney plays this actor who is starring in this new picture called *Hail Caesar*, which is one of these. I mean, you remember, you know, Cleopatra from *Swords and Sandals* all that kind of crap. Yeah. Um, and he is he is just a, so bad at acting. I mean, he keeps forgetting his lines, and the whole joke is everyone keeps going, "Oh God!" And he his his character is called Bad Woodlock, and they're like, "Oh, Bad Woodlock," he just has so much panache, and you know, and everyone thinks <laughs> yeah. he's a great actor, and he's just awful. And um, he gets kidnapped but I'm not making this up, he gets kidnapped by some communists. Some communist script writers who are annoyed because all the scripts that they're writing are getting gobbled up by Hollywood, and they're not getting any money from it. But George Clooney's so stupid, he doesn't really realise that he's been kidnapped, so he just sits around smoking cigars with them, and... And actually indulging in their views and beginning to think, oh, you know, maybe maybe the pictures are pretty shit, and maybe they're all a bunch of wankers, and maybe yeah. I should be a communist after all. Um, it's got a, uh, it's got Ray Fiennes in it as well, who is this? He's a director who has a lot of integrity, and he's directing this really serious drama, and he really, you know, he really really wants it to be, um, you know, acting. You know, a very dialogue-heavy acting, mm. and this guy called Alden Ehrenreich, and I—I I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. It's a very nineteen
1: fifties film. Alden Ehrenreich.
0: What? This is a character.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very nineteen fifties movie. Uh, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, he. So he's playing this guy who's always in westerns, and he he all he is is a physical actor. I mean, he can't—he swings from trees and stuff. But I mean, all the all the scenes of him doing that. are... Just stupid, and everyone, everyone listening, was laughing at it. But anyway, he's brought onto this um, Ray Fiennes film to be a serious, you know, a serious actor, in, in this serious drama, and he is just absolutely terrible. And I, I, I was literally crying through these scenes. So anyway, we've got a clip of this bit, and this is Ray Fiennes trying to explain to Alden exactly how he wants him to be.
2: Say your line exactly as I'm about to, just as I'm about to do. Sure, okay. Would the it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twir? Well, you say it like I said it? Yes. Would the it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Keep your head still. Would that it were
0: so simple? Would the detour so simple? Would the de simple? W- w- I- I'm trying to say that, Mr. Lawrence.
2: Lawrence,
0: hmm? I thought a minute ago
2: it was L- Lawrence. No, we can use Christian names, my good dear boy. Lawrence is fine, just as I call you Hobie. Okay. So, would the de so simple? Would the detour so simple? that. Would the de so simple, trippingly. Would the de so simple, trippingly? No, don't say trippingly. Say the line, trippingly.
0: So I mean, Ray Fiennes there proving again what a great comic actor he is. Following his performance in Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I've got a lot of time for Ray
1: Fiennes and most things.
0: Really. Yeah. I mean, he he really is a a great comic actor, um, and yeah, if you haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel, you should you should watch that as well. So, so yeah, that's I mean, there's not really much more I can say about it other than that. You know, that's you got the plot there. As as a device in which you can indulge in it if you want, but at the same time, you don't have to worry if you're not getting it. And then you just have lovely little set pieces like that, which are really really hilarious. And mm. with the acting is top mm. notch um throughout. And at the end of the film, George Clooney is starts slagging off the pictures because he, you know because he he's been spending time with these communists, etc. etc and Josh Brolin... He, there's, a, there's a plot going on throughout it where Josh Brolin is offered another job in business and he's deciding whether or not he should take it. And So I won't say what happens Josh the Brolin end. is the fixer. Josh Brolin is the fixer, yeah. So, but Josh Brolin gives this very long speech then to um, George Clooney saying, you're going to go out there and you're going to finish this picture, Hail Caesar, because the picture has worth and you have worth if you serve the picture, which I think... If you could, if you could take one line from the film and say that's what the Coen Brothers are trying to convey, I think through all the madness, that is the essential message, and it is that that is the love letter to cinema. Really, you know, the picture has worth, and actually, you're just a dumb actor who can't act, you know, for shit, and you're here because the studio put you here, and you know, the picture is not just you. The picture is everyone, everyone working behind the scenes, you know. He he says that as well, and so it it sums it up really really nicely at the end. And, yeah, I laughed, I, I didn't feel, there's no, there's no kind of... The character development isn't such that you ever get, like, worried about whether George Clooney's going to make it out being kidnapped, you know, but that's, yeah. that's, not, that's not the point of the film. The point of the film is to make you laugh, and, yeah. you know, to make, and make you enjoy it, and it's easy on the eye. And, as I said, in terms of actually having a message as well, would we you take a look, film like Burn After Reading, I think that was very funny, but, to be honest, it was just completely pointless. there really wasn't any there wasn't any substance in there. The only purpose of it was to make you laugh and there's nothing wrong with that. I did laugh throughout burn off the reading, but in this one, I did laugh throughout, and I also came away with a sense of what the Cohen brothers were trying to convey and I think that is you know what more do you want when you're making a picture than to than to do that entertain, and give something back
1: yeah and so it sounds like they're laying into actors a bit. Is there is there is there a message is that like a something that's throughout the film, or is it just George Clooney no, and no, that guy it's, who it's can't all the no, It's all the actors. All the yeah. actors are idiots. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah the guy and is, all are the, all the
0: directors good? Uh well, Ray Fiennes is good and then there's another director uh, the, the other the, the other directors aren't sort of Given that much of a spotlight, it is more of a film about actors and this character of Josh Brolin as the fixer. But mm. it does portray. Yeah. I don't know if they're having. I mean, it's <laughs> interesting. I don't know if they're having a dig at actors, but they've done that with George Clooney before. In Burn After Reading, they cast him as a complete idiot, and it's like, let's take everyone. Well,
1: I think he quite likes that. I think oh, yeah, likes I think he does. For, yeah. you know,
0: yeah. for one's just to let loose
1: and play yeah, an yeah. idiot. Um, and where do you think it ranks in Kern, Kern Brothers films? Because they, they do a lot of. Mm. You know, I can't think of a bad Co-Brothers film that I've seen. Um, Some people took against Burn After Reading, clearly not yourself. Well, so I haven't seen it.
0: Raising Arizona. Oh, so, I like Raising Arizona. Right. See, I didn't like Raising Arizona no? with Nick Cage. I didn't find that particularly funny. I um, thought it really funny, but I found it engaging. Have you seen Barton Fink? No, I haven't. That's quite slow. Although, I did, yeah, I, I did quite enjoy that as well. I, I, think, I think it's right up there, to be honest. I think it's better than Burn After Reading, because it's just as funny as Burn After mm. Reading, and, you know, as I said... It has more substance than a film like Burn After Reading, and it, it also has, you know, it has the farce element of something like The Big Lebowski, mm. um, and I wasn't, I'm not a massive Big Lebowski fan, I did like the movie, but, you know, some people are nuts about it, mm. so I think I enjoyed this one more, so, yeah, I mean, it might be, it might be my favourite Coen Brothers film. Better than No Country for Old Men. See, that's a completely different animal. So it's completely quite... which shows that how good they are, their range. Yeah, they them. have range, yeah. I mean that is a completely different animal, and I think it'd be very difficult for me to compare those yeah. films. Though I do really like burning off the reading, uh, but no, sorry, um No Country for Old Men as well. Yeah. yeah. So there we have it. Lovely. Well, thank you for that, Samuel. Hail Caesar. Go see it, would you would you say that? Hundred percent, yeah. Hundred so percent. Go see it instead of um, Grimsby. Grimsby. Which you've already forgotten the name, that's not a good sign.
1: Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, you won't forget it, I don't think. It's not a forgettable film. You might want to forget it, though. Some scenes, yeah. Yeah. Alright, well, cheers for that, Samuel. And coming after, after this, it's The Iron Giant. Stay tuned. Thanks for that, Samuel, for your review of Hail Caesar. Uh, so now we've moved on to our hidden gem this week, which is my choice, and it was The Iron Giant. Um, so this was a film released in the late 90s um, under Warner Brothers. It's kind of... Um, one of the kind of the late '90s non-Disney animations where they that those kind of studios went for it, and it's kind of yeah. old-style animation, not yeah, it is, yeah, you know, not Pixar or DreamWorks mm. style three D stuff.
0: And the director, he'd done he'd worked in animation before, so yeah, this was actually his directorial debut. Yeah, it? and it's Brad Bird. If you've heard that name before, it's
1: because he's director of the Incredibles, Ratatouille, and Mission Impossible Three. Um, so you know, all all pretty successful films, and you know, right. certainly the first two critically. I I quite like Mission Impossible three.
0: Yeah, what well, we were we talking about? I haven't seen any of them, so that's a big gap in my knowledge. That that a, that's a big old gap. That is a big. Gap. But you know,
1: you've seen one of those films now.
0: I've seen one of them, yeah, and um, I yeah, really liked it actually. Thanks very much for the recommendation. I thought, I'm sure. Let's put you it in some bit better it, the plot. Yeah, it's but yeah. Yeah,
1: so it's based on a, a book from um to the 19 Ted Hughes Ted Hughes book. Yeah. um which he actually wrote for his children following his wife's suicide, Sylvia Plath. Um and actually I don't think it's very similar to the book in terms mm. of story, but it's about uh they set it in the film in 1950s Maine and a young kid called Hogarth who suddenly finds this Iron Giant, yeah. this huge great robot yeah. who he befriends.
0: It's come from space, hasn't it? Yeah, come
1: from outer space. Mm. Uh, but, you know, because of the Cold War settings, some people think it's been sent from Russia or China or whoever. So there's a, a good deal of paranoia. But, you know, I'll leave it there. That's more for the review. Yeah. Um,
0: so he befriends the giant, and, you know, they're trying to keep the giant a secret. You know he's trying to keep the giant a secret because he knows the danger that the giant would be in yeah. should he be exposed yeah. to the public yeah you know, and he's at trying, this time and he's
1: trying to teach it kind of human things and yeah because uh, the suspicion
0: is that the giant has been sent for you know nasty purposes yeah and he wants to you know he forms a bond it's a bit you know what it reminded me of It reminded me of Terminator 2. Okay, yeah I can see that because you know he's teaching the Terminator that killing's bad and, Yeah. You know, and so, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bit like that. Yeah. With less, with, Ar- with minus Arnold Schwarzenegger. Minus Arnold Schwarzenegger and the miniguns.
1: And then yeah, less, <laughs> less violence. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting comparison, actually. I like that. That's the first thing I thought of. Okay. When I started watching yeah. It. Yeah. it,
0: was Terminator Two as a reference point.
1: Nice. Okay. Well, we'll play a short clip um, and give a bit of context about it after. Hello, this is Hogarth
2: Hughes
1: speaking. Who's calling? Please? I think it's day. the Night Kid. It's morning now. Look,
2: I'm trying to come over, okay? But there's this weird guy here what? watching what? me. What's that supposed to mean? I, I, got, I got this big giant, giant thing out here. What? I, I, I can't talk right Whoa. now, okay? Hold on. Bye. Yeah, who was that, Sport? Friend of yours? Yeah, he's a new kid. What? I, hey, hey, stop! Stop that! Stop it! Hey, mind if I ask you a few questions
1: there, buckaroo? Now, why would you tell your mom about a giant robot, Slugger? Try what you see at the power station, huh, Tiger? you tell anyone else about this, buddy? How big is this thing, Ranger? Been in the forest lately, Scott. Hey, where
2: are you going? Cham, Slugger. Hey, cowboy. Where are you going? Where are you going? I'm going out! Why don't you take Mr. Mansley with you? Show him the sights. Oh, Mom, the sights!
0: Hey, I'd love that. Give us a chance to get acquainted. Swap some stories, huh, Chief?
1: So that was a, a minute-long clip. From the Iron Giant. Does anyone
0: recognise the voice? Who's voicing the mother? I mean, I know. It. <laughs> I, it. I was just waiting for an answer from the other side. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. And Vin Diesel voices the giant. Yeah. Although it doesn't sound like Vin Diesel. No, but
1: in a similar way that he voices. Sounds like Vin Diesel
0: on some, you know, on some very depressing drugs or something.
1: Yeah, but in the same way that he voices that tree thing from Guardians of the Galaxy. And does it quite well, mm. in a weird way.
0: That's because he's not on the screen. It's because he's not on the screen. Um, it's a big plus to having Vin Diesel voice an animation. Yes. <laughs> so he can't actually be in it. Yeah,
1: and that clip was um, with a FBI agent um, who's kind of pestering young Hogarth about yeah. the possibility of a, of
0: harbouring a giant. And I mean, we talked about, you know, Joe touched on the sort of American paranoia thing, and it is very much rooted in that, as, as much as it is a story about a kid who befriends a giant, it is also a story that is set in 1957, um, you know, so... It's very much a period Cold War tension. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the funniest thing, they, they make a lot of reference to this throughout the film, and people are scared that the giant has come from space. But the only thing worse from it than it coming from space would be that it came from the Russians or came yeah. from a foreign country. Because that was, you know, and, and they, have, um, they had another clip where they were doing a duck and cover. That's so funny. I know. Yeah. For, for a nuclear attack, yeah. you know, as if putting your head over your hands is, is going to protect you. Yeah, so a they lot have of duck- all that American propaganda yeah. through it.
1: Yeah, or just little things where Hogarth is staying up and watching a movie, like an old horror movie when his mum's out. Yeah. A kind of stupid little things thrown in for the adults there. Yeah, yeah. There are, Some things are thrown in the adults in kids' movies and they're like, ah, but those are like, I think those are genuinely funny.
0: Mm, no, definitely. And uh, adults watching it, you know, people watching it, well, when it came out in 1999, yeah. would have probably been at the age where, you know, they would have remembered yeah. you know, these kind of situations. Yeah. And, and so, as much. So you've got the historical and political element, but then as much as it's a film about that, it also has so much emphasis on the relationship that this boy forms with the giant and and you really you really get into that. And and the, well, I thought the soundtrack was really lovely as well, lovely classical music. Yeah,
1: and not too I mean in the in that clip there's quite a bit of that's because it's more a montage really that clip. Yeah. Um but not not too overbearing, which you can get a lot with A animation films and B American films. Mm. Mm. Um but you know, I thought it was it was really good, and it was that's I was like that's that's my analysis. Yeah. It was really good. it was great. <laughs> but in in getting uh, a child's perspective on things,
0: but of course he doesn't. The, the whole point, I think, of the political element of it is that you contrast that with the kid who, all he's thinking about is, wow, I found a giant that's come from space. Yeah. You know, how cool is this? I'm the new cool guy and, you know, I want to teach this giant how to love. So he's oblivious to all this political and historical context.
1: Which I think is kind of the point of it because it's, he's removed from it and he's right for being removed from it.
0: Yeah, because that's what Len... Yeah, and that eventually is what lends their relationship the poignancy that it has. Yeah. Is that they're you know, he's so set apart from that and actually a lot of it was just a load of hysteria and as you said, um, you know, paranoia.
1: Yeah. And very touching, mm. I think, the the relationship between the two. Mm. Um I I'm trying to not to give too much away about the film, so I think it's really nice to discover. And I actually I I saw it in the cinema when I was very young, but I almost being about five, I think it's a nineteen ninety nine film. Right. Um, and I hadn't seen it for years, and I I'd, I'd thought about seeing it and discuss it with friends like, "Oh, we we should watch The Iron Giant again." Mm. And a friend of mine, Andrew, if you're listening, um, on some kind of Saturday morning, was like, "Joe, I'm over feeling sad. Can we watch The Iron Giant?" Oh, really? Yeah. So we came over, stuck it on the TV, and both, you know, didn't much away, but had <laughs> had tears in our eyes by the end. Because So you were crying, basically. Not not
0: crying, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand how. I think if I'd seen it when I was young, it would have had that effect on me. It didn't. I, You know, I could see why it would be um, as moving, you know, as as it was for you. If I'd seen it at that age, you, as as an adult, I enjoyed it as, you know, I enjoyed it as a piece of filmmaking. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at what we reviewed last, last time, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks, you know, mm. if there's any parents out there and you're thinking of going... To the cinema, you know, just rent The Iron Giant at home and stick that on because a great kids' film and adults will love it as well.
1: Yeah, and actually, the most recent time I've watched it is um, with my ten-year-old uh, cousin, mm. and I think I probably enjoyed it more than he did. Oh really? I think I got more of the stuff that was mm. in there more mm. than mm. he did.
0: Well, I guess he'd only get one side of it, which is the the relationship between the boy yeah. and the giant, whereas yeah. and, you know someone more developed would would see the contrast,
1: which I think is the strength of it.
0: No, definitely. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, the contrast is what gives both sides, you know, the poignancy that they, that they have. So, that's great. Iron Giant. Recommended. C- certified Hidden Gems. C- certified Hidden Gem. You heard it, here it first. One of my favourite animated films, I think. There you go. Um, moving on, we're going to have our Marmite movie coming up next, which is Knocked Up. Yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned.
1: So that was our hidden gem of the week, the Iron Giant, I think it's a pretty certified hidden gem. Certified. Yeah. And uh, so this is a new section
0: we're trying out. Moving away from the, from, uh, the pleasant pastures of uh, the Iron Giant over to less desirable.
1: Well, it depends how, how much you like Marmite, because this section is called Marmite
0: Movies. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I'm letting I'm, I'm um, yeah, why did I let you bring this section in? You love it really, don't you? The the ban- the are starting already. Okay, so anyway, this is this is a genre where we pick a movie that one of us likes, one of us doesn't particularly like. And you can probably already tell which side we've <laughs> Joe's quite a, quite a big fan of Knocked Up, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: Found it funny? I did. Yeah. Throughout. Um, you know, I think it's got more more string to its bow than
0: Right, okay. Well should we put it in context for people that I mean, I'm sure everyone knows Knocked up. I mean, even old. You know, even pe- my dad has seen knocked up. So, yeah. but let's just give it a little bit of context. Directed by Judd Apatow. Yeah. Who has produced and directed just you know loads of these kind of movies. Well,
1: he he pretty much ruled the comedy film world for about seven years. From. Super bad. From. Forty-year-old version. Anchorman. Talladega Nights. Um, Step Brothers. Sta- yeah, Step Brothers. Bridesmaids. Funny people. Mm. Most of... A lot of the films starring Seth Rogen, Will Ferrell, yeah. um, or Jonah Hill, yeah, around that time right, period, really, yeah. he will have... And Steve Carell. And Steve Carell, he would have produced. He's actually only directed three films, I think. He's only directed yeah. The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up.
0: Yeah, so this is one of his directions. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and... <laughs> Uh, what's the kind of sequel to Locked Up which I haven't seen
0: 40 something this is 40 this is 40 that's the
1: one Uh, so this is his second kind of directorial oh no that's his fourth film the other one is Funny People right okay Uh, so this is his second film Uh, it made in 2007 starring Seth Rogen kind of at the beginning of his trajectory
0: really Career trajectory. Yeah, and it was Catherine, probably one of his first big ones. Catherine Hey, I never know how to pronounce her name. Heigl. I'm gonna go Heigl. Catherine. Catherine. Well, I'm gonna because it's my I'm gonna go Hegel. Okay, I like. I it think already. I might be wrong though. I think I could be wrong. I feel like a sort of German descent. So Catherine Hegel plays an attractive woman uh, who has a good job. Seth Rogan plays a fat loser who doesn't have a good job and sits around getting stoned all day. But you know, they're both people
1: really at the end of the day, aren't at they? At the end
0: of the day, they're both people, and you know what? They might just settle their differences at the end of the film. But, you know, let's not give anything away. Paul Rudd's also in it, and Leslie Mann. Yeah. Leslie Mann plays Catherine Hagel's sister, and Paul Rudd plays her husband.
1: Yeah. Uh, And Catherine Hagel lives in their kind of pool house, as it were. If she lives with them. Their their guest house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, basically, towards the beginning of the film, as you can imagine from the title, Seth Rogen... And Kathleen Heigel hook up rather drunkenly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and she ends up impregnated.
0: Yeah, she ends up getting pregnant, and that's basically that's basically the plot. Yeah. He impregnates her, he's a loser, she's attractive, you know, what a You're already you're already coming out with. What a the, disaster. Yeah. What a disaster. But it's not based on stereotypes, but that is the plot.
1: Okay. We'll play a short clip that's indicative. <laughs>
2: Fuck off, Martin. Say fuck off, Martin. Hi. Hey. Hey. I'm naked. Yeah. Can we have sex? Yes. Nice. Oh time is it? 7.30. Why the fuck are we awake? Let's go back to sleep. I have to go to work. Really? Uh, do you need to get to work or anything? No, I'm, uh, no work today.
1: <laughs>
2: oh. Do you want to get breakfast?
0: Okay. So that was a short clip. So like I said, I mean, Let's look at the tagline quickly. So the tagline, the the movie poster is a picture of Seth Rogen's face with the tagline, what if this guy got you pregnant? And I think that really sums up the tone, to be honest. As I said, it's a film that deals in stereotypes. You've got Seth Rogen as this lovable stoner almost, although I don't find him particularly lovable, um, who happens to be lucky enough to sleep with Catherine Heigl, who's, you know, Attractive and on a great career path and seems really nice, you know what a disaster for her that she happened to sleep with Seth Rogan and now and now the plot does that thing of can the loser guy turn himself into something that he's not really because we know what his true nature is and can he step up to the plate um, and engage in a, in a relationship with Catherine Hegel that she's gonna you know she's gonna respond to and she's gonna believe in you know and that that's the plot and okay. As I said, it's based on stereotypes. The the poster... That's the
1: plot from one angle. I think from the poster and the stupid synopsis um, that is just in this YouTube film description Mm. makes it sound really clichéd and might put some people off from seeing it. But I think what starts with stereotypes, actually, I think, you know, it has, has more interesting characters than that. You say, oh, he's lovable, so... I think he isn't that lovable at the beginning Mm. or kind of, you know, mid throughout. But I think his, you know, his attempt and it kind of has kind of real struggle.
0: You know, that's what you like in films, complex characters. But he's not a complex character because he, he doesn't, it's all based on set pieces. Like he proposes to her and he, you know, empties an off, uh, sorry, offers an empty ring box. There's no ring in there. And he says, oh, I'll get you a ring later, you know, when I can afford it. You know, that's just a gesture. There's no dialogue to make you care or to make you even believe that that's anything other than something, you know, he just got drunk and went and did that. I mean, it's exemplified when Paul Rudd's character, is, who's going out with, um, you know, he's, sorry, he's married to the Catherine Hagel's sister. It turns out they think he's having an affair, but what he's actually doing is sneaking off to go and participate in some fancy baseball league. And it's just this implication that all guys really want to do is just sit around, get stoned and make jokes about sex and masturbation. You know, but now and again, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to, you know, make some gestures with a ring or they're going to have to, you know, get a girl pregnant and then step up to the plate and get a job. And we're, we're supposed to sit back and say, oh, you know, well done, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen gets a job and that's supposed to be the point at which it all turns around. You know, why are we applauding this guy? He just got lucky enough to sleep with this girl and now he's done a few crappy things to try and get back with her. And then at the end, it's like, oh, great. Well, you know, he, she's now in love with him. But it's not, it's
1: not love, though. I think the whole point is that, it, that he's clearly an idiot. And you're... you're okay, do you want to contrast this with... Why is she going... The, why, why is she
0: even giving him the time of day? It's Catherine Hegel. I mean, it, why... It has to be love. That's the whole point. It has to be love, because only love could bring two people like that together. If, if all she cared about was someone who was going to get a job and move into a nice place, she'd be going out with someone much more attractive, with I mean, much the, more money the, and much the, more the the potential. than are the love. The point is that she... is it's not like they
1: somehow fall in love because they go on a few days. He... Bloody, you know, he gets her up the daft, doesn't he? <laughs> so she's forced into it. So she doesn't really want to live with him. Her uh, Okay, I'm going to say... Wait, right so now... now oh, no, no, okay, I'm So sorry. now it's oh, like, like, oh, oh she should just now. settle for him
0: she, she got, no, got know, know, because you she, he got her pregnant. You heard it from she, Joe Stevens she, first. She
1: makes that choice. Um, what I'm saying is, so, oh, it must be love. Why, why is she going out with him when she goes with someone else? Because she's forced into the entire situation.
0: She hasn't got much choice. Mm but then she makes the best of the situation.
1: Yeah, she makes the best of the situation, and it doesn't start out with, okay, well, you know, you've predated me, let's get married. You seem like a, this is like a reasonable decision. What do we contrast this, and it's kind of, I think, realistic portrayal, um, to loads of sitcoms where a not particularly attractive, kind of schlubby guy, who is kind of funny, but not really, has a not great job, but seemingly great house, attractive yeah. wife, and lovely children. Hmm. And loads of sitcoms don't ever question that premise. The whole point of this film is questioning, like, what is this guy doing with his life at all? Well, I think it's about that. And also But he's not he, doing he, anything he with his life. With and then,
0: what, so the, so the, the fact that he gets her pregnant gives him a purpose in life?
1: Kind of, yeah. It
0: gives him something to drive towards.
1: Yeah, it means hey, he has to step up to the plate and think. You know what am I doing at all, and realize. But you know he doesn't. He just not. That doesn't happen straight away. But there's also there's also this bit.
0: But but Paul t- Rudd is irresponsible as well. Yeah, because Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen. Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen when they both fall out with their respective partners. Like I'm going to say right now there are spoiler alerts throughout this. We get heated. There are spoiler alerts. Yeah, Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen they fall out with their respective partners, and instead of instead of working hard to get them back, they go on a road trip to Vegas and take mushrooms. But but that is the point. When they take magic mushrooms, that's the point when they realise actually the important thing to us is our relationships. So what in what within that plot device? Where does it say, within that plot device, that Seth Rogen has worked really hard to come to this realisation? I mean, where do you see it in terms of a linear movement in the film that he gets to this realisation, other than him going to Vegas and taking drugs? And exactly the same with Paul Rudd. And then, moving forward, Catherine Hagel and his, her sister, they go to a nightclub. She, gets, she doesn't get in... Katherine Hagel doesn't get in because she's pregnant, and her sister doesn't get in because she's too old. At which point her sister starts crying and saying, Oh, I'm too old to go to nightclubs now, and I really want my husband back. So what kind of a message is that? Oh, great. At, at a certain point, women get too old to go to nightclubs, and you know what? That's when you really need your partner. She didn't want Paul Rudd before that, and now Paul—now she wants Paul Rudd back. It's nothing that he's done. Well, Suddenly, are, just she so her confidence is low, and she's like, Fuck, I better just take what I can get now, and Paul Rudd, come back from Vegas. I know you're on mushrooms, but it'll be fine. You're also
1: ignoring the whole scene stealing bit of that segment where she gets turned away from the club by the guy saying I don't want to do this to you and again is questioning that whole thing where he turns away an attractive older woman from a club that, 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 that whole premise is stupid yeah
0: like, but I don't, the conclusion I don't... she takes What so we've got one good bouncer in a film that's otherwise devoid of morality saying the <laughs> film is devoid of morality is
1: incredibly strong. I'm just saying the that reaction the reaction
0: strong. to that scene the reaction to that scene is, as I just described, she wants Paul Rudd to come back, she wants her husband back in her life because she's been rejected from a nightclub. I just don't understand what... I, I, it's not even like... I'm not a pissed off about the morality of it. I'm not pissed off about it sending out a bad message or anything. I just... Uh, I find it really hard to engage with characters who just take just bizarre conclusions from, you know, from the plot from the plot devices within the film. It's I just find it really bizarre, and I don't... There's almost no dialogue. That's what I mean. There's almost no interesting dialogue where you feel like Seth Rogen and Hegel are developing some kind of relationship that's based on anything they have in common. I mean, you know, they have nothing in common and I guess that's the classic, oh, you know, what you know, opposites attract. Yeah, but, but, but then but again, then that's just are another are stereotype. There but- are
1: moments. There's the zenith of, of when they don't, when there's the earthquake and the Saves the bong instead of her,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that's that's funny, I guess. Yeah,
1: no, but I said that's the zenith of you know him not caring, and she like, I'm fucking done with all of this. Mm. Um, so then he
0: realizes he has to care. No, that's done after he takes psychedelic like, drugs, right? And yeah, goes to see Cirque du Soleil, exactly. From which he derives, the, you know, that's what it's not what happens when you take mushrooms and go and see Cirque du Soleil. You start, you know, you immediately start thinking about your loved one and you know how you need to. Get back from Vegas. Well, I haven't done either of those things. You haven't done either So, so no,
1: let alone together. That sounds terrifying. why well, yeah. anyone would want to do that. Well you'd, you'd want would do any, do well, you'd
0: probably want to do anything else after that. So, you know, it's no wonder he went running back to Catherine Hagar. But, you know, the other thing is, the other problem I have with the film, aside from the fact that it makes, you know, it doesn't really seem to make any sense in terms of a plot, and, you know, as I said, the conclusions that the characters draw from the situations, again, don't really, don't really make any sense in real life, um, is I don't really find him joking around with his friends smoking weed. I don't I don't find that funny. I I do think It's irresponsible. No no no, want, no 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 it. No, it's nothing to do with that. I, I, I like films where people, you know. I love you know, with an Al and I or Fear and Loathing. I'm not averse to drug taking in films or any of that, you know, you know me. But um And I thought of another film. I thought Fifty Fifty, 50-50, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a guy who gets cancer. And Seth Rogen's in that. And I really like Seth Rogen now. I think he's really funny. And I was thinking about it. Why do I find him funny in that, and I don't find him funny in Knocked Up? And I think it's because Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a really straight-laced character in that. So Seth Rogen's sort of, you know, potty mouth remarks and his dirty humour, it it comes up, you know, it's a contrast with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And that's what creates the humour. Whereas in this, you know, they're just... It's like, oh you yeah, know, she's got big tits. Yes, yeah, she does. And they're all just laughing about it. And I don't I don't I don't I'm not laughing along with them. I don't find that particularly funny. Whereas if there was someone in there who, you know, a character in there who didn't find that funny, you know, to create that spark and create that contrast, I think that might have worked for me better.
1: I can see that, but I still enjoyed their whole, like their And not I, I didn't think it was particularly indulgent either. I don't think those characters are particularly likeable. Like a lot of those films are indulgent of man child behaviour. Mm. Um, but you know, the little bits, you know, where they all, she's, Leslie Mann shows up to the house and they all have given each other pink eye.
0: Oh, right, Do you okay. not find that funny? Listeners, if you're laughing.
1: <laughs> I mean. Uh, it shows how stupid they all are. Yeah, but that's. It's But it's so not But it's so two dimensional.
0: They're st- it's, it's like, it tells you from the beginning, you see the poster and it's like, this guy's stupid and he he knocks up a nice girl. And and that's the plot. And then, and then you see them being stupid. It's like, well, why have I bothered going to the film? You know, it does, I don't find anything funny about seeing guys just, you know, be completely stupid. It's like the funniest bit about The Hangover. You look at The Hangover. It's Bradley Cooper because he's just trying to keep it all together with this, you know, craziness that's going on around him and trying to get to the end. And that's why the first Hangover was really funny because you felt like the characters didn't want to be there. Whereas the next Hangovers were crap because it just felt like well, they Kevin were just Heidl, having Heidl, a piffle party.
1: Puts, uh, when she's living with them, is that contrast? Okay.
0: Yeah. And I was hoping you wouldn't make that point. That yeah. That's a that's a that's a decent point. And I do think that. That's probably the, the bits of the film that I like the most. When they're all living together. That's the bits I like yeah. of the film best as well. We've found something we agree on.
1: <laughs> and with that, I think we should wrap up, because we've been we've been chatting on for a while. But, you know, let us know what you think of the film and of uh, yeah. Let us know
0: our, our defences. Which side are you on? Or prosecutions, you or, know? Yeah. So, Joe, you know, we're all friends here. Yeah. Joe's actually just had to walk out, because he's uh, in tears.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's,
0: he's back now, he's back now. Um... So anyway, that wraps up uh, the podcast, I believe. Yeah, second episode. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for listening right to the end. I hope it was worth it. And um, next week, well, we'll we'll post what we're going to be doing next yeah, week. Yeah, post what we're doing next week. And tell your friends if you enjoy it. Tell your friends, like the page. Do all that kind of shenanigans. Send us some more fan mail. We really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, but you know, stop coming to our houses and how do you get our phone numbers? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Until next time, guys, cheerio.